Well, good morning, Docs of Church. You can grab your Bible, if you've got one, and go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. My name is David. I'm one of the guys on staff. Um, I get to teach every once in a while. And this morning, we're in an interesting chapter, okay? Uh, just fair warning, this is not uh, for the faint of heart. Uh, there's going to be some of you who are here today, and you're like, I am just figuring out who Jesus is. I'm here to church for the very first time. Uh, my apologies, okay? <laughs> this, is a, this is a really interesting passage um, that is it's very technical, it's very detailed, and it's basically talking to God's people about like a really specific instance of their spiritual worship. And it is not um, maybe the most clear passage in the whole Bible. So we're going to try to do a good job with it. But I wanted to start going to the very beginning of first chapter of First Corinthians. And so what has happening in 1 Corinthians 14 is he's really kind of like landing the plane in this discussion that he's been having for really the, the whole first 14 chapters. And I wanted to start by going back to the very beginning. You don't have to turn there, but let me just remind us kind of how this whole book started. He says this, Now I give thanks to my God always for you. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And the reason I give thanks always for you is because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And and it's talking about a very specific kind of grace. He says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, hey, here's one of my favorite things about you, church in Corinth. I love how gifted you are in spiritual gifts. I love how the Spirit is manifesting himself in your gatherings. I actually love that. It's one of my favorite things about you. It's an evidence of God's grace to you. But this is also the area that he spends the most time bringing correction to in this church. And there's some like really messed up stuff. If you've been like following along with us, right? Like there's incest happening in the church. There is like people who are getting drunk on communion table. Like there's some like really messed up things that are happening in the church. But the thing he spends the most time talking about is the problem they have and the way they're using their spiritual gifts. And basically what's happening is this church is taking the the power of God, right? The Holy Spirit who's poured into the lives of individual believers. And there's like certain manifestations of, of the Spirit of God and different spiritual gifts. And they're using those things not to do what they're supposed to do, which is build up everyone in the church, but they're basically using the power of God in their own lives to build up themselves and actually divide the church. And he's basically been spending three chapters trying to explain to us like why this is problematic. And so I'm going to kind of just quickly kind of run down where we've been over the past few weeks, right? He's saying this, first of all, this is a bad way to use spiritual gifts because number one, there's nothing impressive about anyone here. Right? Anything that is impressive about you as a Christian is ultimately not about you at all. It's about God. So don't posture or build these hierarchies based on who has what gift. That's dumb. Second of all, he says the church is the body of Christ. And because of that, we can't say that one role or one gift or one kind of manifestation of the Spirit is more important than the other. But actually what God does in his wisdom is he turns our hierarchies, the world gives us, turns them upside down. And he gives the most honor to the areas of, and roles that we would maybe give the least honor to. And he says, thirdly, here's another reason why this is a bad way to do this. He says the whole goal of the Christian life, the whole goal is that we would love one another and the world like Christ has loved us. That's 1 Corinthians 13. That was last week, 
right? And so if your expression of spiritual gifts and your expression of spiritual power isn't loving people, but actually ends up hurting people, then you are actually missing the entire point. And now he's getting to chapter 14, and now he's going to get really practical, okay? And it's even going to get kind of technical, and he's saying, I've been explaining this in big picture, right? Like using metaphors like the church is a body, using this big ideas of like God is love, and you're meant to love one another. But now I'm going to zoom in, I'm going to give specific instructions of how you're supposed to order your gatherings in terms of spiritual gifts, specifically talking about tongues, and the gift of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. Um, so, once again, I already kind of clarified this, but if you are here for the first time and you're new to Christianity, um, this is a hard passage to walk in on. Basically what we do at Docs is we just preach through books of the Bible, kind of verse by verse, and every once in a while you come to a section that is more confusing than others. And so that is today. We're at like the deep end of the swimming pool, okay? And if you're here and you're learning how to swim, I promise we will get through this together uh, and no one will drown, uh, but we might still end up with a few things we're confused about, okay? All my cards on the table. 1 Corinthians 14, it's a long chapter. I've been studying this uh, and thinking pretty hard about this stuff for uh, over a decade now, and there is still a lot of stuff in this passage I do not understand. I just, I I don't totally understand it. I don't know exactly what it means by certain sentences. There are certain things that I'm still trying to figure out. So I'm going to give you the best I got of what this is saying to us, and if you come and find me in a year, I'll probably know more, okay? But this is what we got today. So let's, let's start. 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So I know this was a few weeks ago when we first started talking about spiritual gifts, but let's just kind of recap. Uh, God's spirit, when the spirit of God comes into someone, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit of God actually comes to dwell in our physical bodies. And one of the things that happens in that is not just that you get a seat at the table of God, right? That's true. That's one of the things the spirit does, right? He cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father, like God is now our dad and we have a seat at his table. We are part of his family, but the spirit of God also gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us things that we can actually have in our lives to contribute to the mission and the building up of the church of God. So it's really amazing. Like from the very beginning, we should just be stunned by this, right? We should always be stunned that God doesn't just let us be part of his family, but he's like, no, I'm actually going to bestow so much honor on you that you're going to actually have a role to play in my family. You're going to be important, not just allowed to be part of it. So that's amazing, first of all. But the gifts of the Spirit are different than the fruits of the Spirit, okay? So the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit, they're the same thing. The Spirit of God does these things in the life of a believer. But the fruits of the Spirit are like Pokemon, okay? You want to catch all of these. You want all of them to mark your life. You want to be, you want to have peace and you want to have joy. You want to have all of the whole spectrum. But spiritual gifts are different. He says that we're supposed to desire all of these things But the reality is he actually gives some of these to some people and some to others. And you might ask the question, like, well, why does he do that? Like, why can't I have all the spiritual gifts? Like, they seem helpful and useful. And I think one of the most obvious reasons is because if we had all of the spiritual gifts, then our spiritual life would be able to exist outside of other people. And one of the things God's doing in the church is he's saying, no, I'm going to make it so that you actually need the spiritual gifts of this other person that you don't have, so that you'll actually have to be a community and have unity if you want to have full spiritual life. So the spiritual gifts, in essence, are to build up the church. And that's what he's going to say through the rest of this. But so what is a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift is, is quite simply, a lot of people have some inkling of these, but some people have like an anointing of these things, Right? 
right? It, it isn't just that someone is generous, because we all should be generous, right? That's something that everyone should be. Now, if you're like, the Spirit of God is in you, you should be a generous person. Like, give your money, give your time, give your resources. It's like core values of Doxa Church or any kind of Christian church at all. But God has specifically gifted some people with his ability to be extraordinarily generous in a way that blesses the whole church. And their, their giving actually strengthens the faith of those around them. It's a spiritual gift of generosity, right? Or it isn't just that someone serves, but it's like they love serving. Like they are the very first person to hear something needs to get done. And they're like, I got to go do that. And I love doing it. And it blesses me and it blesses other people, right? We're all supposed to evangelize. But some people have this unique ability to just lead people to Christ through evangelism that other people just don't have. When they share the gospel, people just come to know Jesus. It's this gift of evangelism. And specifically in this passage, he's talking about tongues and prophecy, right? And so we, we all have times in prayer where we just can't seem to put into words what we want to say to God, right? If you've ever had like powerful moments of prayer where you're like, oh, I'm trying to like say this. I don't even have words. Like we, we all feel this to some degree that there's things we want to say that are too deep for human language. And we actually know in Romans 8 that there's moments where this is happening, that the Spirit himself is like interceding on our behalf. Like even when you don't know what to pray, your Spirit is interceding on, on your behalf. We all have times we experience this in a small way, but there's some people who have the gift of tongues. Like their Spirit connects with the Spirit of God, not just behind the scenes and not just through our own natural language, but actually that spiritual connection comes out into the real physical world for them to hear and experience. And so they speak to God or they, they pray or sing to God in a language that they themselves and others don't understand. And there's something about this experience that seems to actually grow their faith and grow their intimacy with God. That's like one, kind of one of these gift of tongues is kind of this idea of tongue. There's also in Acts 2, you kind of see this example where people are, are standing up and they're preaching the, the word of God, the gospel, and people in all kinds of different languages are understanding, right? So there's, like, there's a kind of tongue that seems to be unintelligible to the person speaking and anyone around them. There's also a kind of tongues that seems to be like, I'm speaking English, and that person doesn't know English, but they understand what I am saying. And that seems to also be a gift of tongues in the beginning of Acts. And so the other thing we're going to talk about is, is prophecy. And, and really briefly, just, you know, all of us at times hear, to some degree, like God's speaking a word to us, right? Or it's like a moment where, like, God's word seems to, like, break into our lives, into our specific situation in power, and this happens to all Christians at some point, but there's some people that have this happen very regularly and in powerful ways. And not just for their own lives, but actually in a way that allows them to step into situations or church contexts and say, hey, I think this is God's word to you. Like, I think this passage right here is meant to impact your life. And so there's a whole bunch of different gifts. And his point, just as all recapping, right, is when we use our gifts in service of one another, then the body of Christ shines brightly it flourishes it grows it is healthy but as we've been seeing through these chapters the church of corinth is not doing that it's not healthy and the primary issue that paul wants to talk about in this chapter is about their use of tongues okay so let's read this we're going to read a good chunk of chapter 14 so try to try to read with me i think it'll actually be helpful if you see this in your own bible chapter 14 it says this okay pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Right? He's, he's starting by just saying, hey, there's these two kind of different gifts that basically represent like two kind of polar opposites on this gift spectrum, right? One is tongues, 
No one understands this. The other is prophecy, and it's intentionally supposed to be understandable. And so he continues on. He says, man, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now, this doesn't necessarily just mean like this is like an ego thing. It just means like spiritually, it's, it's for you. It edifies you. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle, okay? He's giving these kind of illustrations. He's just saying, hey, man, what's supposed to happen at the church is there's supposed to be like a message with content that actually is supposed to cause a reaction, Something's supposed to happen in result of this. And so he's like, if you go out there with someone who doesn't know how to play the bugle and you're supposed to like play like the exact tune that gets the, ar- like the armies to go, oh my gosh, call to battle, we have to go. And you get someone out there who plays something different that makes no sense at all, the end result's not going to happen. And so he's saying, this is a problem in a war. It's also a problem in the church. So he says, verse nine, so with yourselves, or sorry, uh, verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, then I'm going to be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Okay? Now I know that's a long passage. We have a little more to go. So keep, stay awake. Okay? Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, here's what I'll do. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay? So here is what he's saying. He's saying, this church, you have this fascination with speaking in tongues. Now, speaking in tongues is a really interesting thing, right? Because it's like Paul's saying, hey, I actually do this. I do this more than all of you. Like, I'm more gifted in speaking in tongues than anyone in this church. And later he's going to say, I I wish all of you spoke in tongues. So Paul's not denigrating tongues. He's not casting it aside as something that Christians shouldn't do. He's like, no, I do this all the time. So, but he's saying, here's what I'm trying to get at is that there's a place for these things. And so what speaking in tongues essentially is, right, is just like basically having this experience with God where like there's like the normal capacities of like human language and understanding. And speaking in tongues is like this moment where like you kind of pass that and you're in like, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Like I'm, I'm passing this kind of normal capacity of human language to like have this experience with God that transcends the normal place of language and understanding. And Paul's like, I actually have this and it edifies me and it's actually awesome. And I wish that everyone had this. Not everyone had this gift, but I wish everyone did. So first of all, that's what he's, he's saying, right? But he's saying what's happened is you've actually elevated the gift of tongues to a place of prominence in your lives and in the gathering of your church that it shouldn't have. And his reason is really interesting because he says the reason for this is because as far as spiritual gifts go, even though you might be most compelled by tongues, it is the most useless gift 
in terms of building up the church. And so, yeah, if someone has the gift of interpretation, able to like discern what you're saying in this language, it can be helpful, but it isn't actually that helpful for the body as a whole. Now, it edifies the person speaking, so it's good for you, but everyone around you gets left behind. And so just hear, hear what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm not saying don't desire the gift. Desire it, but don't make it your focus on priority. And he says something really kind of amazing here. He says, when I am in the gathered church, the reason it is more beneficial for me to speak five words, so five, about God in clarity than to speak 10,000 words in a tongue, the reason he says that is because for me to speak in a tongue is to build myself up, not those other people. And church is not about me. It's about everyone else. So that's his point. He's saying, hey, this is really important. When I'm in the gathered church, I do not want to speak in tongues. If I'm going to speak, I want to speak prophetically. I want prophecy to be the gift I'm after. So what is prophecy? Well, there's a ton of debate about this, okay? And we could like, if you wanted a stack of books that would put you to sleep like you could not believe, you can read books about prophecy, okay? Like there's like so many, like Christians have spent so much ink trying to figure out like what does this look like today? And there's so many different opinions. There's so much going on. But essentially, in the simplest terms, it's this. Prophecy is when the word of God comes to a group of people or a person with clarity, purpose, and power. That's what it is. It's God speaking to us, revealing something to us, making clear something of himself or ourselves that otherwise wouldn't be clear or understood. Answers like, or questions like, who is God and what is he he like? Like that's a question that only prophecy can reveal. What is going to happen in the future of my life or the world? That's, that is a prophetic question. Why is the world the way it is? Why am I the way I am? What does God have to say in this situation that we find ourselves in today in our world? And what's true is the word of God is prophetic, right? The word of God is claiming to reveal things that only God can reveal. It's prophetic in nature. And he's saying what the church needs more than people coming together in a frenzy of kind of their own ideas of worship. More than that, what the church needs is for people to stand up and speak the truths that God has given us with clarity. He's saying that's what the world needs, that's what the church needs. And there's a number of reasons for this. And I think one of the biggest reasons for this is that Christianity, it's, it's actually different than other religions in this way. There's actually a lot of religions where speaking in tongues has some form of their worship, right? And in Christianity, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm not saying disallow this. That's not what I'm talking about. But the reason we don't do this in the church, it's not the main form of our worship gathering, is because Christianity is not about a bunch of people coming together and worshiping, kind of bringing their own ideas of what God is like together. Because that's not Christianity. No, Christianity is actually about following Christ. And Christ is the revelation, the clear understandable, graspable revelation of who God is. We follow that God, and he's not abstract. He's not unknown. He's not unintelligible. He speaks our language. He's like us. And so when we gather as Christians, we want to speak in a way where the revelation that God has given us actually comes through clearly, because he's told us what he's like. He's actually told us why the world is the way it is. He's actually given us revelation and prophecy and spoken truth into our world. And he's even told us how to properly worship him, right? 
So the thing we're coming together is not individually just saying, we're going to all abstractly worship this God, and it may be a right way or a wrong way. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to tell you what I'm like. I'm like this. This is who I am. And you need to worship me in accordance with that. And so he's saying in church, when the people of God are gathered together, I would rather speak five intelligible, understandable words than 10,000 in a tongue. This is a really strong statement, okay? Like, it's really strong. Like, and we need to be careful here because Paul does not say there is no place in the gathering of God's people for the gift of tongues, but he comes really close to saying that. He comes really close to saying that. And I think one of the reasons is it's not just that, it's not just that God is saying the church gathering is meant to be speech from me to you not primarily speech from you to me, right? So that's part of it. He's like, when you gather together, like you should spend way more time hearing from me than you kind of getting together and talking to me. Like this is about you knowing me and there's real content and revelation here. But I think it's also because Paul wants to like make very clear that the church is not about you. You know, the church in Corinth, what was happening is their worship service essentially looked like this. Everyone came together And what everyone was doing on a Sunday morning, they were basically coming to church and they were primarily trying to maximize their own spiritual experience of worship. That was their goal Sunday morning. I'm going to come in and I'm going to try to have the best possible spiritual experience for me so that my relationship with God can be as good as it can possibly be. This is for me primarily. That hits home for us, I think. Because that's what they're doing, right? You know, you may not be standing off in the corner speaking in tongues in the middle of the sermon, or you might not be kind of like, kind of, you know, both people like speaking kind of over each other like this happening in this church. But do we walk into the gathering of God's people with a desire to build up the church and the Christians around us or primarily to build up ourselves? Like, why are we here? What are we doing here? And I think it's possible that a group of people like us could never speak in tongues on a Sunday morning in this gathering and actually be doing the exact same thing that this church in Corinth is doing. That we come into this place with a desire to build up ourselves and consume some great worship experience. And it's like, man, I come here because the band is great and the music is great and I come and I have this great spiritual experience of worship and kind of knowledge and learning and then I go home. And if that's what we're doing, I just think, man, we might not be speaking in tongues, but we're doing the exact same thing this church is doing. We're not trying to build up and strengthen or love one another, but we're fundamentally trying to just build up ourselves. And he's saying, hey, that's not what the church is for. Now, I want to I get into specifics for a minute um, about this because, um, well, let me explain this, okay? Most of the time when we meet on Sunday morning, basically what we're trying to do is we're taking the Bible, we're picking it up, we're saying, man, how does this thing hit us in our chest? Like, what is Jesus trying to say to us Docs a church today? How do we apply this to our lives? And, but Madison is an interesting community because it, it's very transient, right? A lot of you are here for a few years getting a PhD and then you're gonna be gone. There's a lot of college students who are, who are in this room who are like getting a degree and you're gonna, you're gonna end up being somewhere else. And so one of the things that 1 Corinthians 14 is doing is it's actually helping us know what does a healthy church look like when it comes to spiritual gifts? And so we don't wanna be the kind of church that basically just says, hey, like, what are other churches doing wrong? We want to be the kind of church that says, what are we doing wrong? And how does this, you know, this passage affect us and help us see what we're doing wrong? But we actually, we need to talk about this. Um, because there are a lot of groups of people who claim to be followers of Jesus in this country that are kind of in this group called charismatic churches. 
Um, now, charismatic church is like a really broad term. It means a ton of different things, but it's a movement within Christianity that is the fastest growing movement uh, within Christianity in the world. And it is a movement that basically tries to give greater focus to the power of the Spirit. And they encourage people to pursue spiritual gifts. And, and they think that the Spirit of God is working in the world in a very similar way today that we see Him working in Acts in the early church. But there's a kind of against this growing trend, there's this other side within Christianity They would kind of discount this idea entirely. They say, no, the Spirit of God doesn't give people these miraculous gifts anymore. They were were there in power, and these miraculous things were given to the early church and the apostles to kind of jumpstart the church. But now that the apostles are gone and the church has started, we don't need those anymore, and so they're not normative for the Christian life. Now, here's what's true. There are Bible-loving, gospel-proclaiming pastors, people, and churches on both sides of this issue. And what tends to happen in the church, because we're much more like the world than like Jesus, is whenever we have two different tribes of people, what we tend to do is demonize the other side and just throw stones. We're not going to do that today, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to take this text and we're going to say, what is this text actually saying to us? Because it's not true that anyone who practices or has the gift of tongues is not taking the Bible seriously. And it is not true that anyone that has any kind of problem with certain areas of the charismatic movement kind of just doesn't believe in the power of God. So what can we say about spiritual gifts in the church? Well, one of the very things we can see, the most obvious thing is this. If someone or some group of Christians has a disproportionate fascination with speaking in tongues compared to every other spiritual gift, then that is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. Okay, that'd be like one of the main takeaways from this whole passage is he's saying, hey, this thing, this fascination you have with this, this is actually a result of your immaturity, not your character. And another thing we see is that just because a church or a person has a miraculous experience of the Spirit doesn't mean they're the kind of person you should follow. Because this church is probably the most kind of powerful looking church from the outside, and yet it'd be one of the worst churches in the New Testament that you could become like. It's not a good church. There's so much stuff going on that he's having to correct. And so it's not necessarily a sign of maturity and immaturity, but what is it? It's exactly that. It's a gift. It's a gift. Not from hard work, not as a result of your close relationship with God necessarily. And so 1 Corinthians 14 is some of the most clear teaching on a specific subject that we get in the whole New Testament about spiritual gifts, like 12, 13, and 14. This whole kind of section, it it is some of the most clear teaching we have on how is the church supposed to deal with anything in the whole Bible. (laughs) Like, it's honestly kind of amazing that so much clarity comes about just this issue of using tongues in the church. And so as you're kind of going out into the world, whether you're you're trying to figure out how do you do this in your connection group, or you maybe meet someone who has these kind of spiritual gifts, or you're going to a church that's more on the charismatic spectrum, the thing you need to figure out is, does this person or group or church follow the teaching of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? Because there are some really great churches that are more on the charismatic side of this coin, but there's also some really, really bad churches. And so how do you kind of think about this? Well, I think one of the things we're supposed to ask is how does this church order their gatherings? This is super important. Um, Are people speaking in tongues without an interpreter? One question. Are people speaking in in tongues and in the gathered body without an interpreter? The Bible clearly says this shouldn't happen. It isn't helpful. It doesn't build up the church. Another question we can ask is we're just going to figure out, man, where do I make my spiritual home? Are, are multiple people speaking in tongues or prophesying at the same time? The Bible says it should be max two to three, and they should take turns and listen to one another, not just kind of like everyone go at the same time. A third question, are people being taken over by the Spirit 
and losing control of their bodies and speech? Or is there an orderly process whereby spiritual gifts are exercised in a deliberate and controlled way? Like you'll notice this, Paul, Paul gives them a very specific order he wants to use in the church service, right? And the reason for that is because true manifestations of the Spirit are to be controlled and shepherded. They are not to be wild and frenzied. And I think even he would say, like, actually, a real manifestation of the Spirit, if you want to know, like, what marks something as a true manifestation of the Spirit, is that actually it is done in a controllable way, and it is not out of control. And some people push against this. Some churches push against this. They say, well, no, we shouldn't put God in a box. If the Spirit of God does something in our community, this is the Spirit of God. He has authority to do this. And who are we to kind of bring structure to, the, to, to God? He's above us. But Paul's whole point is the opposite of that. He says, no, it's because of God's nature that we are to conduct ourselves in an orderly way in God's service because God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. And so we've, we've been to churches where partway through the service, um, they will they'll all stand up and they'll move the chairs to one side of the auditorium so that the spirit has like room to move, right? Um, because you know, like the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he has a hard time with chairs, right? Like they're an obstacle to him. Um, and so there's this idea, right? That it's like, man, like certain structures and even just like consistent things that we do, these are a barrier to kind of organic spiritual nature of the Spirit of God. And so we should get rid of form, get rid of structure and allow the Spirit of God to do what he wants. We don't want to encumber him. And I would say, you are not going to be a hindrance to God because you have a chair. And you're not gonna be a hindrance to God because you're trying to do things in an orderly way. Actually, his whole point is saying, no, actually God himself is orderly and understandable. And there's a certain kind of way you're supposed to act in the presence of God's people that actually demonstrates God himself. And so Paul's saying this, he says, man, you, you, you are gifted, but this church, you're showing your immaturity by focusing more on the experience of the Spirit's power than in actually taking care to think of what am I doing with this power? Am I building up the church with this? And look what he says in verse 20. He says, brother, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil. In your thinking, though, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, uh, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, and all of you speak in tongues, and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see, the issue at hand is that this church is basically what they are doing is they are having this worship service that is ecstatic and frenzied and does not have clear content of who God is. And so somebody comes in and they're like, you are very excited about this, but I have learned nothing about my creator and I don't understand what's going on here and so I'm just gonna leave. And he's like, you have actually in this moment taken the thing the church is supposed to be, which is this revelatory prophetic word to one another and to the world and you have turned it into confusion. And so he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. 
Instead, what you should do is you should be the kind of people that are prophetic and you have the gift of prophecy, that you take the truths of God and you apply them to one another, that you, you know this book well enough that when someone has an issue, you're able to be like, oh man, this this is verse speaks to that and God's like this and these are the promises of God. You speak prophetically about someone's life and the future that is coming that is revealed to us in the word and you're saying if you have that kind of worship service then someone's going to come in and hear someone speaking prophetically and be cut to the heart. It's exactly what Ronnie was doing on stage, right? Like our sins, they are many. You wonder why you're having problems in your life? That's why. You wonder what's going on in this world? That's what's going on. You wonder why there's so much pain and suffering? Because our sins are many. But his mercy is more. That is prophecy. That is not something that we can just come to know on our own. That is from God, from the heavens, down to us, speaking prophetically about our lives, our situation, the truth of God. And that, when it is clearly communicated, has the power to save people. And so Paul's saying, that is what your worship service should be about. So verse 26, he just says, well, what then, brothers? And when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to anyone sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This, like that last section is not complicated, right? He's just like, hey, uh, don't talk over each other, you know? And uh, if someone has a word, like let them, and then the first person just stop talking. It's like, this is, this is 101. He's like, you need to just understand this is how the church does things. There's, there's order. It's not frenzied. So here's a couple things. Paul's understanding of the tongues and of all the gifts is that it is not an uncontrollable utterance where the Spirit of God takes over the vocal cords of a person and they lose control of themselves. He says, no, the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Do they, here's another question. Do they think that everyone should be able to speak in tongues? For some reason, this is one of the most common things that you'll see. The gift of tongues becomes something that signifies maturity, but also something that anyone can have if you pray enough for it and if you seek it hard enough, and then people kind of call it your heavenly language. And what God wants to do is make sure that everyone who is a mature Christian can have this. Now, I just want to just point out really quickly, this teaching that every single person can have the gift of tongues, this is horrible. It is false teaching at the most basic level. And this is exactly the opposite of what Paul says in this entire section. This is what he said earlier in verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do, Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? His point is no. Because the body is made up of many different parts and different gifts. And that's his point. And so if you're with someone or a group that insists that all true Christians can have the gift of tongues, then run in the opposite direction. I have watched many friends experience a lot of pain 
because they were told that the gift of tongues is something that every mature believer can and should have. And if you don't have it, it's because you are in sin or you don't know God. Paul says the exact opposite of this. And it's not confusing. It's very clear. Another question. Do they focus on the Holy Spirit and his gifts more than they focus on Jesus? You know, one of the things that you find is that churches or people that go off the rails in this area, they start to give more attention and focus to the Holy Spirit, his gifts, his miraculous power, more than they talk or focus on Jesus, his cross, and his salvation. And what ends up happening is there starts to be this like Christianity 2.0, right? Where it's like, yes, we need Jesus. Yes, we need the gospel, but eventually we need to move to these deeper spiritual things. We need to focus on the power of the Spirit and pursuing miraculous healings and tongues and, and prophecies. And here's the biggest problem with that. Like the biggest problem with that way of thinking is that the Holy Spirit's job, what he does in the hearts of human beings is he makes Jesus look amazing. Like that's his job. The Holy Spirit's job in the heart of human beings is to take our heart and our eyes and our affections and to set them on Jesus as ultimately satisfying. And so if someone spends most of their time talking about the power of the Spirit, but they don't talk about Jesus as much or very much at all, then the Spirit of God actually is not very powerful in that person's life. But if you have someone who's maybe kind of confused about some spiritual gift stuff, but they are enthralled with Christ, And they want to give up everything in their life to follow him. They're sacrificial towards him because Jesus Christ has become beautiful to them. That is someone who the Holy Spirit of God is powerfully working in their life. There will be very spiritual, very powerful people who will be very surprised when they get to heaven. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says on that day, I'm going to say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. People who seem to have spiritual power do not necessarily, that is not necessarily evidence that they are people you should follow. And people that have seemingly tremendous spiritual power are not necessarily people who even know Jesus. So the last question is, do they spend more time seeking a word from the Lord than seeking the Lord in his word? Um, the Assemblies of God, it, it's one of the largest Pentecostal denominations that's kind of in this, this charismatic camp, and they're different than us. Like, we're, we're not the, the same as them in some of the things we believe, but one of their pastors, he, he warns about this. He, he says this, he says, man, many of our errors where spiritual gifts are concerned, they arise when we want the extraordinary and the exceptional to be made frequent and habitual. He says, let all who develop excessive desires for messages through the gifts take warning from the wreckage of past generations and even our contemporaries. It is the holy scriptures that are a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. So why do I take so much time um, talking about this? It's because Paul is very, very serious about this. And there's a certain kind of arrogance that can happen when people go off in this direction and they don't need to submit themselves to church authority anymore because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And what do they need elders or what do they need, what do they even need the Bible for anymore if the same God who wrote this is now inside of them? And so they start to dismiss and look down on the very people who brought the word of God to them in the first place. And this is exactly what's happening in Corinth. And so this is what Paul says. Verse 36 He says, or was it from you that the word of God came? 
Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you, they are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. Meaning if you as a church choose to not follow these things and live under this, you are actually not going to be recognized as a church of God. So he says, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, so that's 1 Corinthians 14, at least most of it. (laughs) And here's what I think. I don't think that Doxa Church is in any danger of going off the rails in the exact way the church in Corinth was. Like, I, I know a lot of you, and I, just, I don't think that's like the way we are going to get this wrong, is that there's going to be this kind of excessive manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit that are going to kind of cause this kind of selfish thing to happen in our church. I don't think that's what we are in danger of. But there is a danger here that we need to see. Because I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He, he doesn't say, hey, church, be cautious about the spiritual gifts. He does not say that. And and he doesn't even say, hey, be careful about spiritual gifts. What he says is he says, earnestly desire them. Like earnestly, like in the way you like pursue and strive after something. It's like this really strong word in the Greek. Like I want you to earnestly desire these gifts, pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's, it's worth kind of ending our time talking about again. Because I don't want us to be the kind of church that reads a passage like this and is very quick to be able to see, oh man, these other churches, it'd be really cool if they got this. I don't ever want to be a church like that. Like one of the very first things Jesus says about following him is he's like, we need to be the kind of people that before we take the speck out of our brother's eye, we like notice the two by four that's coming out of our own eye. Because you know what's worse than a church that, that's worse than a church that is abusing spiritual gifts? It's, it's a church that's not pursuing them at all. And, and I don't know if that's exactly where we are, but I, my guess is we're closer to that than the church in Corinth. A church that's filled with people who never pray for the gift of tongues because we're just more interested in talking with people than God. A church that never even asks for the gift of evangelism because we don't really share the gospel with that many lost people. Or, you know, a church that never asks for a word from the Lord because we actually really don't want God to come in and wreck the plans we've made for our lives. Or a church that never begs God for the gift of healing because we've so insulated ourselves from the, the people who are hurt and broken in our city. Or a church that never asks for the gift of service because we're actually so concerned by trying to figure out how we get everyone else to serve us. Or a church that never asks for the gift of teaching because all we really want to do is consume knowledge and wisdom and build up ourselves, but we don't really want to give it out to others. Or a church that never asks God for the power of his spirit because everything that we earnestly desire are things of this world and not the things of God. This text isn't just a warning to those who would misuse the gifts, but it's an invitation to desire them and use them for the right reasons. And I I want Doxa Church to be a place where God's people are zealous and passionate for the things of God in such a way that it causes us to like desire gifts from the spirit. I want us to be a kind of church where we're putting ourselves in situations over and over again where we actually need, like we need the power of God to show up or the thing we're trying to see happen can't happen. 
And if in the middle of our zeal and passion, we end up doing a little bit of stupid stuff and we start going off the rails, like that's okay because the word of God is actually there to correct us. And you may be in this crowd thinking, man, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I didn't even know spiritual gifts were a thing. And that was a really confusing sermon and I'm still very confused and that's okay. But here's, here's what I would say. Focus on the point of the gifts more than the gifts themselves. Give your energy to the building up of the church and other Christians around you and, and do this. Throw yourself into situations and contexts that are way beyond your abilities and your comforts. Because that is almost always where we begin to experience the power of God. You know, I think one of the reasons we don't see or experience the power of God is often because we rarely put ourselves in situations where we're unsure if something can happen. <laughs> we're like, I don't know if that can happen, so I'm not gonna do it. I don't know how this is gonna end, so I'm not gonna pursue that road. And it's like we put ourselves in situations where we're like, I actually know that because of my own knowledge, my own gifts, the own things I have in my life, I know this can be accomplished, and so I'm going to do that. But the whole story of the Bible is God leading people to do things they couldn't do. The whole story of Christianity is about God empowering people to do things that are impossible in and of themselves. You know, the most miraculous things I've ever seen happen happened because we needed them to happen. We were just in situations where we needed the power of God to show up. I remember when we were in southern China and we were, we were with people who didn't speak any English. We had such a desperate longing to like share the gospel with them because we're in these small villages and unreached people groups where they just didn't have any language whatsoever and we didn't, had never heard the gospel before. They never even heard the name of Jesus. We were just so desperate to get the gospel of these people. We, we genuinely loved them and we wanted to see the church built there. And so we started praying for stuff that like we normally didn't pray for. Like I normally don't pray for the gift of tongues in a way that like the people can understand my language who don't speak English. I normally don't pray for that. But my love for these people compelled me to pray for those kinds of things. And we saw God do crazy stuff. Like we saw God, we saw God take people who have zero English, be able to have full conversations about Jesus in our own separate languages and they understood us and it was a spiritual gift from God. Nothing for us to brag about, but the reason that happened is because we were out in the world trying to figure out how to move the gospel forward and God showed up. And I would just way rather our church to be a place that every once in a while needs to be called back to health and order in manifestations of the spirit than for us to be a group of people who are so concerned with our careers and our phones and the idols of the city that we never seek after the miraculous in the first place. You know, I just think this, to me, this text is less an indictment of those churches over there, but it's more of an invitation to us that we would pursue love, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, and especially that we might prophesy. You know, may God help us if all we ask him for are good grades, raises at work, and a happy life. But would we be people who beg God for the miraculous because we want to see this world saved? And would we be people who ask God for more and more because we love being able to bless the people of God around us? And I think for me, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I think for me, the thing that I needed to hear from this is that God's desire for me and maybe all of us, is that we would eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. That we wouldn't be fixated or consumed by them, but that we'd be so in love with what God is doing in his world and in his people that anything, that more than anything, we just say, well, I just want to be part of that. Like if Jesus, if you're going to build your kingdom, like if that's what you're doing, you're going to build your church, I want to be part of that. And I need your power to do it. 
that our love for Christ and those he loves would actually cause us to desire the kind of gifts that only God can give. And I just don't think that the way these things happen is for us to stand on the sidelines and ask for God to do something. I don't think that's how how it works. I think God says, hey, throw yourself into loving people and serving people and trying to build up the church, and I got you. When you need my power, I'm gonna be there to do it. And that's the kind of church I wanna be part of. Let's pray. Jesus, it is amazing to me that you, uh, you didn't just put us in your family, but that the very next thing you did is you said, okay, here's, here's you, you gotta be part of this. I'm gonna put my spirit within you, not just so that you know you're my children, but I'm actually gonna give you power to go out into the world and be my witnesses, that you're actually gonna be able to have gifts to prophesy, to encourage one another, to serve, to teach, to heal. Jesus, I ask that you would manifest your presence and I ask that your spirit would be powerful in our church. God, that for every single one of us that that we wouldn't just know you're real because we've learned doctrine, but we would know you're real because we're experiencing your power in our lives. And God, I just feel like there's some correction for everyone in this room from this passage. And God, I just pray that your spirit would reveal that to us, God. What are we, what ways are we making church about us and quenching your spirit? What ways are we, God, what what ways do we need correction? Would you help us this morning? And God, would we be the kind of people that worship you in spirit and truth? Would we be the kind of church that looks alongside of the people who are standing next to us and is just so amazed that we get to be brothers and sisters together that the very first thing that happens in our hearts is like, I gotta encourage that person. I gotta love that person. I I gotta pray for some kind of gift, some kind of something to just give this person to build them up and help them love Jesus more because I'm just so amazed that we get to be part of the family of God. Would you make us a church that is united? Would you strip away our individualism and our desire to make everything about us, but would you make it about you? And would you help us love one another well? And help us worship you this morning in your name. Amen.